1: Welcome to Military Network Radio. We are entering a new month, and September happens to be Suicide Prevention Month. So we have been leading up to this month with our recent broadcasts about QPR and several other topics. And now that we're here, we're going to bring you some very different aspects about suicide prevention, communication, and where we can go in terms of signals To one another so that we open the channels of communication. Our organization today is Living Through Crisis, led by Judy Davis and her son Jeffrey, and they share an amazing story of hope, which I will let them go into on the radio program. But we're talking today specifically about the risk of teenage suicide among military teens and youth, and Judy has become an expert on this. Obviously, not something you willingly go into, but she did, and she came out stronger on the other side, and so did Jeffrey. So we welcome to our program Judy Davis, known to many military spouses and family as the Direction Diva. She's a very strong motivational speaker, author of several books, a blogger, and a teen suicide prevention expert. Welcome to Military Network Radio, Judy.
2: Thank you so much for having me here today, Linda. It's, it's exciting to um, be on your show. I love what you guys are doing and how you are supporting the military community. Um, I think it's a great effort. I've listened to a bunch of your shows, and the content you are sharing is really um Perfect and making a difference. So I appreciate all that you guys are doing for sure.
1: Well, you're very, very kind. Thank you. We're trying to pick up on topics that get little discussion. And the one today is especially... One that gets little discussion. I think there's a great deal of fear. I think there are people who are wondering what you will tell them. So I think the best way to begin, if you're okay with it, is to tell your background and story and how you came to be an expert.
2: Well, you know it's one of those things like you said in in the introduction it 's not something that um anyone i wouldn't want to wish it on anyone, or did I ever intend to be an expert in suicide um in teen suicide prevention? I actually um never even intended to be a military spouse, so it's you know, oh it's wow kind of your I'll role go way that. back then okay, <laughs> yeah, exactly you know my husband when we got married, gosh it 's almost twenty four years ago. He wasn't in the military. He had gotten out um, six six weeks prior to us meeting, and that was before the original Gulf War, so I kind of date myself right there. And um, it wasn't until 17 years later that he came home one night and said, corporate America is not for me. And after a little freak-out moment, I looked at him and said, what? What in the world are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to put my uniform back on and serve. And it was interesting because that just started this whole catalyst of events. And um, becoming a military family was you know, not, never on my radar. And it, it was such an experience that we were not prepared for. And I think that um, because of that, it has helped me have an insight into what military families deal with on a day in you know on a daily basis and most specifically that emotional side our family has been affected by military life in a very um intense way that has like you said has made us grow stronger and I didn't know the impact that the decision to be a military family would have on not only our lives but on our children it's um, I don't think I realized the true struggle that families face until October of 2012. And it was a normal day. You know, I had been running around. My husband was actually um, out in California getting ready for his next deployment. And I received a call that um, my son was away at college and it was something that no parent would want to get while their child is away um, or while their child is at home, really, too. It was a call that brought me to my knees because my son wasn't okay. In fact, he had um, tried to take his own life, and, you know, stress, depression, what we later found out was PTSD and anxiety, had led to him self-medicating just to numb the horror that had become his life, and you know, I was miles away, as many military families are when their kids go off to college, and I was completely helpless and scared. Um, you know, that voice on the other side of the phone was wasn't the person that I knew as my son. So, you know, it it was interesting. I don't know. Um, I'm sure other people can understand. It's like we know when we became a military family that we know the risk that our soldiers have. We understand, especially um, with my husband, he actually is a combat engineer, so he works with explosives, and his job when he goes overseas is, you know, route clearance and looking for IEDs and things like that. So I knew the risk he had, not only for his safety, but in regard to mental and behavioral health um, as a result of his job. I was in no way prepared for the impact that it had on my children, especially on my son. I it wasn't on my radar that it would be something that would affect him so intensely. I was, you know, pretty Judy. It's excited. so
1: interesting that you say that because uh, I know that I first of all I neglected to mention that we're joined by co-host Jason McNamara. And, Jason, I imagine you are relating to what she's talking about in terms of the change in life from – because you were young when you enlisted. And so the changes it does make in you is one thing. The changes it makes in your family members is another. Would you like to address that at all?
3: Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting because, you know, there's this – Deep motivation to live for something greater than yourself in the military, right? And there's a lot of excitement that's built around that. And I think that, you know, that is obviously a large factor in why families um, commit to the military life because there's the sense of purpose beyond themselves and they feel that fulfillment. And, um, but the utopia, if you will, of that sort of environment actually changes, right? When, when the um, the dynamics in the military adjust, right? So it's, it's fine when you're back in the rear and you're having a normal family life, you get off of work, you pick up your kids, you, you, know, you take them to after school activities, you attend their baseball games, you are very much operate in a normal family capacity. Um, and and that's true for even young military members. You're, it's sort of like you know when I when I talk to um, young folks about joining the military and they ask me what it's like. It's you know it's a mixture of of you know social clubs and uh, training camps and um, you know social interactions outside of military life as well. But it feels a lot like a normal job. But all of that rapidly changes when you are called up for deployment. And there there is a, a large um shift that occurs that's very difficult to to handle and i think you know judy i think what, what you're referring to is very typical in that you know we were going through this transition and now we're experiencing firsthand what this actually looks like and accounting for pieces that maybe weren't necessarily thought of in the beginning
2: mm-hmm. i i what? agree i i don't think that as a community in general I don't think that we ever anticipated the, you know, the effects that multiple deployments and a rapid deployment cycle, how that would be compounded on the stressors for our dependents. You know, yeah. um, so many military children are, you know, we're we're no, they're known as in our community as being resilient and strong, and they are all of those things. But I also would challenge that they all are also not as resilient as we see. They're they're great um, deception. You know, they they're good at deceiving us in everything is okay because they don't want to put more on our plate. They see how stressed out the service member is, or how worried the the spouse that's at home is, and they want to ask or anxiety or anything like that to the family pot, if you will. And so they tend to stuff all of their feelings and they stuff their fears and they are in this constant fight or flight mode. And it's it's hard for them to get the coping skills that they need to deal with the change and the chaos and um, the intensity of military life. Do you see that as well?
3: Yeah. You know, I think we, I had some, um, Marines, I was in the the United States Marine Corps. And so I had some Mm -hmm. Marines that were um, on my team that I think experienced that firsthand. And, you know, there were a few of them that actually sent their families back home because I Mm -hmm. think that transition was so difficult for them and understanding that the resources and I think to your point, the support system around it, Um, wasn't necessarily geared for that, to handle that. And so they actually, before we went up for deployments, they actually sent their families back to their hometowns so that they could have additional family support and additional community support. But the interesting piece with that is it's a double-edged sword. So you send your families back because you want them to have this sort of family structure that can support them, but then you also alienated them from the very Mm -hmm. parts that keep them closer to... um, the force if you will.
2: Exactly and I don't think you know in a lot of ways um, you know I can like you said it is a double edged sword when going back home often means going into a you know pretty much full civilian community who doesn't understand the challenges. The schools don't understand the challenges the you know so what can be construed as Behavior that is atypical and in a civilian child might be, um, you know, something that the teachers would cause, you know, have cause for concern on an exponential level. It is just a way that military child is adjusting to the fact that their parent is deployed. And Perfect. The, Judy, know, I'm going to
1: stop you right there. Because we're going to go on break and we will continue that thought afterward. This is Military Network Radio, and we will be right back after this commercial break.
0: We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages.
4: Identity, Tradición. Latina life is never boring, but it can be muy dramática. So how do you coexist between the old school ways of la abuela and the new school life you're creating for yourself without losing your faith, familia, identity, or tradiciones? Welcome to Living Latina with Francesca Escoto, where culture curls and curves collide in one spicy cross-cultural conversation. That will leave you begging for much. Francesca tackles all the important issues, from politics to family values to religion to, you guessed it, relationships and men. As Chief Everything Officer at The Wow Factor, Francesca is passionate about showing women of all cultures, ages, and lifestyles how to rock what they've got with style, sass, and smarts. Be sure to join her every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time for Living Latina, only on the WooHoo Radio.
5: Network. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy scream little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Flipman on toginet.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com.
0: Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference.
1: Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're joined by Judy Davis, who is one of the founders of Living Through Crisis. And we're talking about the stressors on military teens and with the dangers of suicide, addiction, and all sorts of other things that go beyond the normal teenage uh, angst, if you will. Judy, you were talking about when you were in the trenches, you did not feel like you were unique among the military community, but when you were in the civilian community, you did. And as you began to fill these gaps, perhaps you can talk about how you felt, and then by contrast, how Jeffrey felt. Because when you say you get that phone call... I'm sure other people are wondering did you see warning signs or was it only in retrospect that you saw those?
2: You know, it, it, in retrospect, you know, as a parent, um, I think it's very easy just in general, um, whether your team is military or civilian, it's very easy to dismiss behaviors that they have as typical team behaviors. But when you compound all the general teenage um, struggle, you know, they want independence and they're trying to fit in socially, all the typical teen stuff. When you add in the layer of the struggles of military life, it becomes exponential. Mm -hmm. And as a parent, it's very easy to not dismiss, because I never dismiss, but it's to go, oh, he's just struggling because dad's deploying or we're moving to another place. It's gonna, I'm just going to wait and see if it all kind of works itself out. Mm-hmm. And what I'm finding is across, you know, when I go and speak with military families, sadly, you know, I'm finding our situation with depression and um, addiction and even suicide ideation are definitely, um, you know, we're not unique. And, you know, the level of, Intensity is different, but there is a serious crisis uh in our military community it's you know I've likened it to this crisis on the horizon that just keeps building. We're almost in a pressure cooker. These kids that have been on this deployment cycle for so many years are now coming into their teens and they don't have the coping skills that they need so it's it's you know they the problem will get worse if we don't do something. And when you ask if it's hindsight, you know, absolutely. I wish I would have known the warning signs. It's one of the reasons why Jeffrey and I started living through crisis was to provide families with some tools so that they can fill in the gap and develop coping skills that we can do because both of my children had difficulty um, transitioning to the military and dealing with the ebb and flow of military life, they just handled it very differently. Um, you know, my son, the extreme of um, of drug abuse from prescription medications and alcohol, um, and high risk behaviors. You know, climbing high speeds on his car. You know, all of those kind of things. My daughter was different. She dealt with military life by just putting, becoming super, super focused. Mm-hmm. She got done with high school in three years, went off to college at 17. She went through college in three years and is now working full-time job, married with a daughter. She accelerated those years to get and separate and get as far away from military life as she could. Mm-hmm. Different approaches, but both escaping an environment... That was difficult for them to deal with.
1: If that makes any sense, you know? it does. Can and they're not unique. Je- I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: No, I just said they're they're just not unique. You know, they're they're all kids have issues and to some degree.
1: So true. Can you share? Uh, Jeffrey was not able to join us today, mm-hmm. and instead he wrote something that he wanted to be shared. Do you have that with you, Judy?
2: Um, yes I do. And you know, he was sad that he couldn't be here today. We've been speaking around the country and today was just one of those days that we couldn't make it work in the schedule. But you know, I spoke with him last night and he asked me to share something that would kind of give your audience a peek inside his mind and his mindset as he was dealing with military life. So I'm just going to, you know, instead of paraphrasing, I'm actually going to read what he wrote because I think it's really powerful.
1: So That's fine.
2: Here we go. For years I hated the way I felt and couldn't stand the sight of myself. I had no idea why I felt like this or what was wrong with me. And then my grandpa got diagnosed with cancer when I was 11. At that moment I started taking pills in an effort to end my mental torment of watching my hero a man that I looked up to more than anyone else, slowly fade away. Escaping with a pill or a drink was just my way of not having to deal with the problems, and it seemed to work for a little while. When he died, that's when I completely shut down for the first time, emotionally, and attempted to end my life. No one knew of that attempt. No one knew that I had failed, and I fell deeper into the misery because I couldn't even kill myself correctly. As the years went by, Things got worse. My drug use involved into doing anything I could to change the way I felt. I really didn't care what it was. When my dad joined the Army, I was a freshman in high school, and the adjustment to a new school, a new environment, and a new way of life made things worse. I started to drink on a daily basis. I lied and manipulated everyone I could to try and create a life that I thought would make me feel better. It didn't take long for me to figure out that nothing was helping. In fact, I was just driving everyone away that could have or would have been able to help me. Once again, I found myself in a situation where the thought of death was comforting and a welcome idea. One day during my dad's mid-tour leave, my parents had gone out to spend a little time together, and I walked into their bedroom, into their closet, and pulled out my dad's twelve gauge. I sat on the end of the bed, looked at myself in the mirror, and put the barrel in my mouth. As I tried and started to pull the trigger, my phone rang. And it was a call from my sister, who was away at college, checking in to see how I was. The distraction of that call saved my life. Divine intervention, you might call it. And that's not something that's easily forgotten. The rest of my time in high school was spent in the days trying to handle deployments and military life but I was numb to everything that went around me. I stuffed every feeling, just pretended like I was not there. I was, for lack of a better term, dead inside, as were many of my friends, actually, now that I look back. Us military kids sometimes just need to escape all that's going on. When it was time to go away to college, I thought that the change was just what I needed that being away from the chaos of the military was going to make my life a little more bearable. And for a short time, things did look up, but that feeling came crashing down once again when I realized that all my support system was no longer close. I dove into drinking more than ever before to the point where I had alcohol poisoning four times in one semester, and I started to get in trouble. I got a minor in possession and a minor in consumption charge and felt myself and my life slipping away. I knew I needed help, and so I went home for the summer in between my freshman and sophomore year and agreed to get some support for my learning disability, which is what my family thought. Hey, it might even give me a prescription of my own, right? See, my parents had no idea how bad things were or how hard things had gotten, nor did they know how many times I tried to end my life. They believed I was just like every other kid trying to deal with the challenge and stress Of military and adjusting to college as well I was really good at lying and honestly it's easy to hide a problem when you use prescription meds I got tested and was diagnosed with depression PTSD and ADD and was put on medication my parents and I to some extent were convinced that that was the answer so I went back to school thinking that everything would be fine but life caught back up to me again and that's when things took a turn for the worst. No way could I deal with the hell that had become my life. There wasn't a solution. And once again, I tried to end my life. Thankfully, I made the call on that day. So as you can see, it's kind of, um, as I read it, it's hard as a mom to know that that's what my son was going through and I had no idea. But and I think, that's Judy, so you're so fortunate families. that
1: he reached out. That does speak to the relationship he has with you, and your husband, your family. His sister must—that must have weighed heavily on her when she found that out later on.
2: You know, it's interesting because um, that you bring that up. She actually found that out just this past week. He had oh, not my. said that with her um, because it was. He didn't want to put it on her, Mm -hmm. but we will be speaking at Texas Tech University next week um, doing a Living Through Crisis program, and she will actually be in the audience. And she will be hearing his full story for the first time. And um, while he's clued her into what's going on, a lot of the details of the Mm -hmm. emotional part of things he's kind of protected her from. Military kids, that's a natural instinct for them, I'm finding, um, that they protect those around them from any more stress. And he's done that, so he kind of um, shared that with her so it wasn't a shock as she listened to his story.
1: That is going to be a very powerful speaking engagement, no doubt, because when you have the entire story coming out, and um, I'll ask you after the break about the, the rest of the family, you know, his father, etc. When you're dealing with depression, medications, um, addiction, and alcohol, and all of these things, it's a very complex mix, and it's no wonder that things were very difficult to discern for you. And I'm sure listening, our listening audience of parents is thinking the same thing: very difficult to figure out. So. Thank you for sharing that. And tell Jeffrey we appreciate his sending the Mm -hmm. note in lieu of himself. I don't know if we could have heard it from him. That would have been very, very powerful. Um, The note itself gave me goosebumps. Jason, I think you probably felt the same way. I um, am grateful that you shared that. I think it adds a great deal to the story, and we will be going on break. And when we come back, let's talk about the warning signs and what to look for. We'll be right back.
0: We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages.
5: We often ask, is that all there is? Why is this happening to me? Why am I always broke? How am I going to survive this mess? Then join Dr. Geraldine Tegeloff for Nature Spirits Speak, 7 p.m. Tuesday evenings on toginet.com. And happily shares these through today's note to self on her webpage, naturespiritspeak.com. If you need help with your journey, why not connect with Geraldine during her show, Nature's Spiritspeak, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge.
0: Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference.
1: Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We are continuing our discussion about the high risk of teen suicide among military teenagers, and we're with Judy Davis and Jason. You had a question for Judy.
3: Yeah, Judy. You know, I, I think um, you know before the break, I think you know you were sharing um, your son's journey and uh, how he evolved into reaching out for help, and I think um, that's a very very touching story. I think there's. Um, a lot of situations out there where teens may not actually reach out for help. And so um, not taking away from you and your son's journey, but as you started to look outside of your family, as you started to look at these other military families and these other military teens, um, what did you start to notice as you started to, to look at them now that you were experiencing some of these pieces with your own family?
2: Well, you know, thanks for asking because that was the part of this whole journey that was such a shocker to us. Um, We were at, you know, because of um, my blog and my speaking for military spouses, we were asked to share a story, and I'm a very transparent person, and when we started to talk about what was going on, I was shocked at all I heard. I can't tell you how many families from every rank, every installation, every branch came up to us and were saying that they or someone they knew had experienced the same thing. So I started digging. I started, I'm a research kind of person because I know that, you know, if there's a problem, we need numbers, we need stats, because that's how we can actually get program funding and get some help to the families that need it. And I was surprised to find out that 1,500 teenagers attempt suicide every 24 hours. And that suicide is the third leading cause of death. It it blew my mind.
1: And this is in general or in the military. This is in general. In general. Okay. As far as
2: military, twenty six percent of our kids Mm -hmm. will have some sort of depression before they are eighteen. Okay. That was a frightening stat for me to know that you know one in four of our military kids is struggling. To the extent that you know they're they're losing all hope and they are unable to have a normal life and enjoy things as they go um, and then you know that just kind of led me to the next thing of going okay well how do they cope if they're depressed and they're having all these challenges from our life and our lifestyle and just the day-in, day-out things that go on in the military community, how are they coping? And that's when the whole situation with addiction and um, suicide ideation came into play. Because in comparing civilian and military – the percentage of alcohol use in military is 45% compared to 39% in the civilian population. And prescription drug misuse, 36% of our military teens are using prescription medication to numb their feelings and alleviate pain versus in the general population, 27%. So it was massively different statistics. And so it kind of just made us go, there is this huge problem. And rather than attacking it after the fact, after a child, you know, overdoses or after a child attempts suicide, we wanted to be proactive and come in beforehand. We wanted to reach the kids and give the families the tools they need to not only identify if there's a problem, but then to get the support and the help they need and open up those communication lines and and really and truly know what the warning signs are so that they can spot trouble in their child or someone they're working with or a neighbor's child or someone else in their unit. So it became this um, mission, if you will, and we just were like, our story has to make a difference. And we are really, so we started living through crisis in this proactive place where we want to give people the tools they need to intervene and get the kids into help because early treatment saves lives when it comes to this kind of stuff, mental and behavioral stuff.
1: Judy, do you find that the natural cohesion of the military community comes to play in a positive manner once you get your message out?
2: Oh, I do. I think people are hungry for, um, for resources and programs that can help them deal with this kind of situation. Mm-hmm. As a community, I think we have a great number of resources that are kind of in your face, if you will, to handle the logistics. You know, there Mm -hmm. are, you can go on to any one of the websites or any installation website and you will find how to PCS, what are, you know, the restaurants in the area, what about housing, what about travel, you know, all of those things. But finding family support resources in the mental and behavioral health arena is difficult. And I think there's a huge gap in being proactive in our community in giving those coping skills before something happens. And I don't think it's just with our teens. I think it's with our dependents in general, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole resiliency movement in our, um, I know in the army, you know, they have the army resiliency training for the soldiers and things like that. And yes, they do have some resiliency training for families, but, It's not readily put out there for someone to know it exists. I think, you know, it's just not, there's a stigma to getting support in situations like this. And the more we can talk about it and everything, and the more studies that can be done, it will lead to more problems. Or programs, and funding to make that happen.
1: One of the things that has always surprised me is that year after year after year, legislation is put forth to track military, family, and dependents, mental behavioral health, as well as suicidal attempts and suicides. And each year, no, it does I, not this, There's not. I know they, that's my point but every year it's put yeah. forth and it doesn't and and yet it is a very critical part if if the family's well it helps the service member so what what I've never understood is the disconnect between if you have the family in a cohesive you know resilient overused word but that's what we'll use manner it does help the entire readiness factor um the resilience factor etc but it's not being addressed. It's almost as though if we ignore it, we're strong enough, as you put it earlier, it will pass and then we can move on. Because there are a lot of help for people. But you have to proactively seek them. There's nothing that's reaching out to you. So it's one-way communication. And you're doing all the work. From what I'm hearing and and knowing other families, you have to do the work knowing there's something wrong. The general population's not sure that something's wrong, so they don't know what or how to act. How would you address that?
2: Well, you know, one is just to take a step back, you know, when you talk about the family and all of that, I really truly believe that the family unit is our first line of defense in the mental and behavioral health of our service members. Mm -hmm. You know, when our, our service men, women come home, the family is the one that notices what's going on. The family is the one that is affected oftentimes. And I think there's a huge gap in helping us understand the warning signs, not only in our children, but in our service members, so that True. is just something you know in general. And to address it, I think we really need to. Um, the problem with doing things at the DoD level, and I'm just going to put this out there, it takes years for it to come. A program to be developed, uh-huh. and by the time it comes down to the families or the soldiers or things, it's pretty much outdated. Right. You know these. Pro- it just takes that long for. A program to come. So here's this problem that over the next few years, I believe is going to be exponential. You know, this crisis is going to grow exponentially. And we need to be tracking and we need to be getting statistics because that's the only way programs are created. But if we, you know, ideally, we would have started tracking dependent suicides and overdoses and things like that three years ago, four years ago. So that those programs could roll out now. Now we're behind the eight ball. So I think we need I, to pull in outside resources to fill that gap. And I think companies like ours, and you know, there's other ones too, that can provide not only an understanding of what the true problem is, but a solution that families can use. And I think it would be really helpful.
3: Yes, yeah, so I have a um, a question about that. So, you know, understanding mm-hmm. that military families are very, very mobile um, and you re- obviously recognize the gap. Right. And yep. you are moving forward and closing that gap as a, a military spouse. Right. You might. And I'm going to use the Marine Corps, for example, because right. that's, that's sort of what I know. But, you know, I have mm-hmm. Marines that were with me at Camp Pendleton in Southern California. And then, you know, four and a half years later, five years later, they moved to one of our sister units in Okinawa. And um, and so not only do you just unplug sort of the knowledge that sits within that community, but then you've reinserted yourself into a new environment. So, you know, how how do you think we can help solve that problem? Because I, mean, I think obviously one of them is having organizations like yourself um, deployed mm-hmm. across um, the system so that we can monitor that. As people come in and out of it, but but how do you how do you create stability in this sort of constantly changing environment?
1: Great question. Yeah,
2: well, you know, and if you know, if I had the magic wand, I'd have the perfect answer. Um, <laughs> I think I think it evolves as well. I think that um, our entire community is changing so much all the time that in order to fill those gaps we need to address it at the family level and i think so often um and we need to do a better job at reaching our families and helping them understand that it isn't just the latest powerpoint presentation that this is something that while they may not be seeing it in their five-year-old it is still Imprinting on that five year old. I think it's an education piece that is missing, Jason. If, I, if I'm answering your question, I think that in general, and I'm not exactly sure if I'm truly, I don't know the exact perfect way to do it, but I think we start at education and an understanding of what is truly going on. Too often in our community, and I see it from the top level down, you know, walk in the halls of D.C. and in the congressional offices and the Senate offices, there's a tendency to brush aside many of the issues we're talking about today because they're concerned about the soldier or the airman or the Marine, you know, all of those things. That's their primary focus. The family isn't the primary focus and while it's better than it was 10 years ago i think that that's the thing is to really and
1: truly understand that the family we're going to go on break we'll be right back
0: we're military network radio and we'll be right back after these short messages
4: and motivation every friday at noon eastern standard time learn how to maximize your mojo and just say no to the status quo get inspired and motivated by a fun loving coach who knows what it's like to get through this thing called life with your high on life coach audra irwin each friday at 11 a.m central standard time and
2: 12 noon eastern
5: Welcome to Toginet, cutting-edge radio.
0: Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference.
1: Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We are continuing our conversation with Judy Davis about teen suicide risk in the military. Judy, we've mentioned warning signs that parents can look for, but we haven't said what they are. I think it would be very helpful. I know it can't be comprehensive, but if you could give an overview of some of the warning signs or red flags or things that should just elicit more attention for parents and family members as well.
2: Okay, cool you know it's one of those things that you know as as we're talking about warning signs one thing to remember is that anything that we're saying today and any of the things it is not a substitute for professional help i encourage parents if you are on the fence and worried about your kid <laughs> it, you know take action you know being forward and doing that kind of thing err on the side of caution would Wait. be the thing but when it comes to warning signs, you know, there's, there's no perfect um, ironclad thing, but there are some simple um, things you can look for, and the reality is that each of our kids is different. So what may be normal to one can be cause for concern in another. You know, you know your child best. I say that to parents all the time. And if you notice a change in behavior, and it raises those red flags, get some help. Get a full medical exam to see what's going on. Could be a an illness or mental and behavioral health issue, especially in teens. That's when your um, mental and behavioral health things start bubbling up at 17, 18 years old. But some of the indicators that your child might be at risk for depression or addiction or suicide, can be physical. And those are things like they might be really tired all the time, have a lot of health complaints, you know, my side hurts, my legs hurt. Um, They're getting sick often. You know, that's your body's way of saying you've put a lot of stress on it. They might, you know, gain weight or lose weight, Um, changes in their dressing, you know, how they dress or how they groom themselves, those would be the physical warning signs to look for. And then you've got, you know, emotional signs. So for my son, his was definitely like an angry outburst and just general irritability. You could say, what would you like for dinner? And he had, you know, an attitude about it, which is, was so unlike him but so often especially in boys irritability and angry outbursts kind of go hand in hand with <laughs> puberty so it's like but for my son it was hugely different from his normal personality and um you know lack of interest is another one of those emotional things or right? if they're starting to isolate themselves from um the world you know those would be emotional warning signs um School, you know, it's one of those things if their grades start to plummet or they start cutting class or, you know, they don't do activities, you know, they drop out of activities that in the past they might have loved to do that really filled them up, all of those things. And, you know, just regular friends um, withdrawing from their friends or being mean to their brothers and sisters when they hadn't been before or just kind of... um, increase or decrease in their social life? Who are they hanging out with? You know, when you're looking at warning signs, it's a comprehensive type of an evaluation. It's not just one thing, and, you know, you don't want to. The minute you find out if your child took a sip of alcohol, that doesn't mean it's time to put them into a treatment facility. You know, it's really about looking at it from a comprehensive viewpoint. Does that make
1: sense? It it does, and it also sounds a lot like teenage behavior. So what I think you're saying is that if it's a change, if it is outside the norm for them, that is much more of a red flag. Um, I do know, too, though, that when I know other families who have been in similar situations and they've taken their children to the physician's, they are sometimes given antidepressants and told that they're too young to be having suicidal thoughts, that they'll take a suicidal evaluation, you know, that questionnaire, and they'll say, well, just wait for your de- antidepressants to kick in. You must have also been faced, though, with he said he hid everything from you. And mm-hmm. so all of the normal things of, about where did he get the money to, to buy his... um Or get his alcohol and 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 drugs and when he went to the doctor the doctor gave him medication which is exactly what he was looking for so that becomes a very difficult point of dealing with the physician who is dealing with you and trying to assuage the problems on this side and your child who is manipulating the system at the time which is often what does Mm -hmm. happen at that age how do you discern the difference
2: Right. Well, you know, it was interesting because i never thought that, um, you know, we've always, when you get hurt, a lot of times you're given painkillers, right? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we would just keep them for next time so we didn't have to go to the doctor, you know? Right. And which is something that a lot of families do. And what we found is that that was, my son didn't need money.
1: Oh, okay. He so he used family the cupboard prescriptions. Okay.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And as, you know, we didn't pay attention because it wasn't on our radar. We didn't, you know, pay attention if one of the beers was missing or something. It just wasn't My son was so good at knowing how to take just enough that we wouldn't notice.
1: You know, Did any of his kind of friends ever approach you? Pardon? Did any of his friends ever approach you? Never. And what's fascinating
2: to me is that none of his teachers clued in. He was a straight-A student, he, A's and B's. Mm-hmm. He got full scholarship to college. He was on multiple teams, part of ROTC, You know, JROTC. He oh, was my. involved, lots of friends. Not one of teachers, mentors, or anything clued in that he had a problem. No one thought that he was depressed. When you look at my son, you do not look at and say emotional mess. He looks like your clean-cut boy next door who is just happy-go-lucky. And I've met him. He fun-
1: doesn't have that flat affect that you would think would be there. You're right. It's not sullen. It's very open and transparent. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, you know, was his, um, he used that to his advantage. And he will say that, you know, it it was interesting because when he was away at college, he would call and um, talk about his weekend or something, and we would touch base. And he'd be like, yeah, last night I was the designated driver and all this kind of stuff. Well, fine and dandy. He was the designated driver to whatever party, and when he got home, he drank in his room all the leftover stuff from the party. Ah. But so it was just, he manipulated his friends and everything because, in his mind, you know, using drugs and alcohol was wrong, but he, so he didn't want anyone else to know that's what he was doing. So he wasn't the kid that was drunk and obnoxious at the party. He was passed out in the middle of the night when everyone else was asleep. So
3: that's, inter- that's I mean, interesting. That's interesting. it it must it must be very difficult to sort of wrap your arms around that both in the <laughs> in the loving sense and also in the the physical sort of comprehension sense, right? How do you
2: exactly? How do you, know, how do you, how you help guilt. someone like that? I'm sorry. Yeah. There was a lot of guilt for sure. a long time. And sure. we as a family got decided that in order for my son to get healthier, we needed also to understand the part that we played in it. Because when you have someone that has a addiction, depression, suicide ideation, no matter what age, whether it's your spouse, your child, your parents, there is a part that you play in that cycle whether you're you want to admit it or not and we as a family kind of just went there's nothing off limits we're putting it all out there and we're going to hash it and figure it out so we can come through the other side of this crisis healthy and whole and it's it's hard and we've all had to take some serious looks at how we coped especially with the transition into military life and how we did that. And um and that's what we share in a lot of our workshops and things are the actual strategies and tips that we used to get healthy as a family and develop and create those coping skills. And it started with, you know, opening up those lines of communication. You know, as parents, we don't we don't want to say the wrong thing. We want our kids to be happy, and we want to make their lives easier. And sometimes that means having those difficult conversations that are so much easier to push aside and not think about. Or we take that other approach where we pester and we nag and we say, get off your butt off the couch, blah, blah, blah. You're just being lazy and stuff like that, which is counterproductive to helping your team deal with what they're
1: feeling. When you talk to other parents in these uh, speeches that you give, these motivational speeches that Mm -hmm. you give, are they responsive that they feel they can go forth now with more information? And, of course, you have books and lots of things that we will talk about. Uh, There's the livingthroughcrisis.com website, of course, and you also have a book called Warning Signs, Is Your Teen at Risk for People to Go to? But do you find that they feel more empowered, or do they now feel, oh, my gosh, now I have to reevaluate everything at home and where to start? What's the general consensus? You
2: know, the general consensus, especially when we're talking about getting in there before it's a crisis, has been this sense of relief. Good. Parents, are they want information so they can help their kids. And what our kids deal with now day in and day out is so different than what we did and dealt with for years. You know, they're dealing with an instant gratification. Technology has become an um, integral part of our kids' lives. They have, their communication skills are really lacking because everything is text and social media. Their life is on um, full display and so the parents don't know what to look for anymore because the game has changed since they were young. Mm-hmm. So parents want the information and they feel a sense of relief when we share that you can get in there early at the first sign of trouble, get, utilize the resources that are available. You just might have to hunt for them. But there are resources, and you know our PCP or something can refer you for, to that, and you can move forward. And it doesn't have to get to the point that our family got to, and that gives
1: hope. I think that's tremendous. I want too. to make sure that our listeners know where to go to find out more information. So I'm, I'm going to give these resources, and correct me if I'm wrong. You can find the livingthroughcrisis.com, which is Judy and Jeff's website about their organization. And on it, you can also find her books, Right Side Up, which talks about military life and PCSing and all of the things that you can do to be more resilient. And the critically important warning signs, Is Your Teen at Risk? And these resources are available very inexpensively, and some are free. We hope that you will go and find out more information if this is a concern to you and your family. Thank you for joining us today on Military Network Radio. We'll see you next week.
0: Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com and in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance your